Did you know that a man once jumped into a bulletproof window so much that he busted it out of the frame and fell to his death? I do. Hey, I'm Nicholas Howe, and I made an improvised comedy storytelling podcast about this death and many others. Using a multiverse of memes as the catalyst, I explore the various ways people have died. I also have special guests on and freak them out about how dangerous the world is. Did you know lakes can explode? You do now. Listen to the How Will I Die podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and follow us on Twitter at HWIDIEPOD. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. listening to In a City Like Yours, a semi-monthly podcast featuring interesting people with interesting life stories. This podcast may contain language and or subject matter not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. I'm your host, Michael G. Moore. Please visit our website at inacitylikeyours.com. That's I-N-A-C-I-T-Y L-I-K-E-Y-O-U-R-S dot C-O-M for links to our social media, all popular podcast platforms, and links of interest pertaining to all episodes. On this episode, I chat with Lauren. Lauren is a theater arts journalist and visual artist from Raleigh, North Carolina. Join us as we chat about her early interest in theater, her move from Florida, her eventual career in arts journalism, and her founding the website and podcast, RDU On Stage. Here's Lauren's story. I'm Lauren Van Hamert from Raleigh, North Carolina, and today I'll be talking about one of my favorite things, the theater. I think I was five or six years old when my father took me to New York City to see a revival um, of the movie, The Sound of Music, that was playing on the big screen at Radio City Music Hall. Um, it was kind of one of those anniversary things, come see this, this uh, beautiful movie. And for me, it was life-changing. I, it was really one of my first experiences. Of course, I was there with my parents and the singing and the beauty and the grandeur of it all. It just made me want to either do that or be part of it somehow and started playing the piano at an early age. I never really sang very much. I wanted to go to a music camp in Maine when I was a kid. And I auditioned for the music camp for the piano, which I was trained to be a competitive pianist. So I was not a bad pianist. I can't play very well now, but at the time I was pretty good. And auditioned to to go to camp to learn the piano, study the piano, focus on the piano. And when they came to audition me, the uh, wife's 
the owner's wife said, I bet you can sing. <laughs> and um, she actually had me do a singing audition on the spot and took me in as one of her only two students. And I spent probably more of my summer singing there than actually playing the piano. Although I did learn, I think, 12 pages of Rhapsody in Blue that summer, which I was very proud of. And when I went to college, I decided to focus on journalism. I knew I wanted to be a journalist. I didn't really know um, about entertaining or entertainment reporting or arts journalism. I just kind of wanted to to be a journalist, be an investigative reporter, be on the street <laughs> interviewing people. Um, spent two summers, one at a radio station, kind of behind the news desk writing the morning news. And then my second internship was to learn television production. And I spent a summer working as a production intern on the soap opera As the World Turns. And when I graduated, I graduated with my journalism um, degree, a Bachelor of Arts with a focus on journalism, but I minored in theater because I just couldn't get the theater quite out of my blood. Um, really fell in love with the directing aspect of the theater. Um, kind of the creative behind the scenes elements of the theater and worked as a journalist for about five minutes when I graduated. Television did not <laughs> work out very well for me. Um, I worked for uh, what is now the Fox affiliate in Miami, Florida as a morning news writer and found that that wasn't really for me. And ended up wanting to move to Chicago. Chicago was kind of my dream city to live in, but as fate would have it, Hurricane Andrew blew my parents' house away in Miami, and I ended up staying with them in Miami, never moving to Chicago, um, and going to work for the Red Cross. And I worked for them Oh, until I started my own company, which was kind of a health and safety related company. I took my safety training from the Red Cross, CPR, first aid, um, created my own small business and got pregnant. And when I had my son, my a couple of years after I had my son, my husband had a job offer here in Raleigh. I was born and raised in Miami. I considered myself a Floridian. My whole family was there. I was so close to them. I never thought, I, I, I was the least likely to leave Miami out of everyone in my family. And um, interestingly enough, I was the first one to go <laughs> because my husband got a job here in Raleigh and we ended up here. I, I told my husband at the time I would give it a year and then moved back to Miami because I was sure I wouldn't like it here. And that was 18 years ago. <laughs> so I left my family, um, moved here with my son, had my daughter here, um, and found a community here of artists and first visual artists, and then a fantastic dynamic theater community that really brought me in and welcomed me at a very sad time in my life. And um, a couple of years ago, 
my brother passed away. And so around that time, I found this theater community and really the, I kind of joke that it saved my life finding this theater community and beginning to write um, reviews and cover the arts here in Raleigh, but it, it really gave me a new lease on life finding this community. It's, it's amazing how art can really pull you out of the doldrums and or change your life in, in ways. I'm always amazed at the stories I hear from artists about how they grow up and what they've gone through in their life and how art is such a, a major part of kind of keeping them whole. Absolutely. You know, um, I, I guess I found art twice <laughs> here in Raleigh. Um, the, the first time um, around, I had moved here and we didn't know anybody here. My whole family was in Miami and honestly, my identity, everything I related to, everything I knew my whole life was in Miami. And so when I moved up here, it was really the first time I was on my own in college too, but I'd go home on breaks and I'd be back in Miami with my family. And so this was really the first time I was on my own. And as an adult, trying to figure out who I was. And my son right around that time was starting preschool. And so I, I was a stay-at-home mom and I was taking care of him every day. But when he started to go to school and I had all these hours free, it was kind of like, okay, who are you? You know, who are you when you're not mom, when you're not wife, when you're not sister, when you're not all these roles that we as women take on, um, who, who really, who are you really? <laughs> and, um, strangely enough, I, I realized that I was an artist that I, I found art. I started playing with jewelry and visual arts and mixed media and feel like I found my voice. And I did that, um, as a professional artist here, for many years, had a studio in downtown Raleigh at this beautiful place called Art Space um, with a community of artists that I adored. And, and it gave me a community. It helped me, like I said, find my voice. I, I left because my daughter was diagnosed with autism in fifth grade. And I felt like she really needed me to be present and to be in the schools, volunteering, figuring out how to help her navigate the system, how to help her navigate her diagnosis. And so I took several years off and still did art at home and stuff. I, you know, once an artist, always an artist. But I really took the time to take care of her and make sure she was okay, help her figure out who she was and help her find her voice a little bit. And um, I kind of say she went back to middle school and so did I because I spent three years every day volunteering, um, which I really enjoyed, surprisingly. When she entered high school, she kind of became Little Miss Independent 
and didn't need me to be there day to day in the schools with her, helping her navigate because she could navigate on her own. And so once again, I was kind of searching for something, trying to figure out, okay, who, who, who am I now? Who am I, you know, other than an autism mom, um, now what? And um, kind of experimented with other art forms, um, sewing, fabric, you know, like I said, once an artist, always an artist, but um, really stumbled upon the theater. And I guess, you know, like I said, a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago, my brother passed away. And for me, it was devastating. We were close growing up. Um, maybe not as close as adults, but definitely close growing up, came from a, come from a really close family. And it was heartbreaking to watch my parents suffer so and not be able to do anything about it. And I tried to protect them. I tried to shield them. I tried to help them and kind of um, had a lot of my own problems in the process. I had a lot of anxiety. I was suffering from PTSD a little bit. Um, and I know that sounds crazy, but that was actually a diagnosis that I was given after my mother's death. And right around that time, I saw an ad for Broadway World. They were looking for writers to cover the theater scene here. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to apply. This kind of fuses together my love of theater and my training in journalism. And it really um, brought me back to the land of the living. It gave me a purpose. It gave me a reason to wake up in the morning. It gave me something to do positive at night other than be sad and think about my brother and think about the pain that my parents were going through and really still are going through because they'll, they'll never get over this heartbreak. But, um, it, it's interesting how finding a community helps you heal. And, and that's certainly what this theater community has done for me. Now, do you consider yourself a theater critic? I hate using the word critic, although, although, you know, some people reading some of my reviews might say they're very critical. Um, I guess, you know, the, the professional term is theater critic. Somebody recently, a couple people recently in this community have referred to me as an arts journalist. And I think that's a more accurate description because yes, I do write reviews. I cover local plays and local musicals, national tours, professional productions. But in addition to that, I do a lot of interviews, um, have a podcast. And so it's it's more than just the reviews. So I think arts journalist might be a better, a better title. Hey guys, I'm Brittany. And I'm Kelly. And we're the hosts of The Faves of Our Lives. The podcast about everyone's favorite everything. This season, we talk about everyone's favorite TV shows by taking polls and comments on social media. Join us for laughs, banter, and made-up words. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Faves of RL1. That's at The Faves of RL and the number one. Bye! Bye.
what is your process? What do you do to get, uh, say, to publish a piece? What do you go through? Do, do you see uh, different plays more than once, or you go in once and you watch it and you, you write something on that, or, you know, what's your process? Um, well, the writing process, the, the reviewing process is really interesting, and I, I think it would be shocking to people to realize how much um, time and research goes into it. Typically, I will go see a play or a musical, um, sometimes three to four plays a week, and it usually takes me, I used to come home from the theater and begin writing immediately. And I found that not only was I unproductive trying to write a review the same night I saw a show, but I would literally stay up all night and the end result was not very well written or very well thought out. Now I'm much more thoughtful about my reviews. Um, I usually take a day or two to think about what I've seen. I review my notes. I do a lot of research on the show after the fact because I don't want to be swayed before the fact. It's hard not to, you know, sometimes you see a show and it's a really popular show like Hamilton and, and, and you've heard what, you know what it's about. But a lot of the shows, the smaller shows that I see, I, I don't really know what they're about. So I want to be surprised. I want to have that initial experience, same as everybody else in the audience. So I take, I don't know, 24 hours and research the show after I see it, find out what the production history was. Was it on Broadway? Was it off Broadway? Who wrote it? Um, who wrote the music for it, if it's a musical? And then I dive into writing. And through the writing process and reviewing my notes, hopefully I come up with a fair review, a fair assessment of what I've seen. Um, I never want to be mean. I respect the fact that people are on stage performing and, and they're very vulnerable up there. It's, it's, I'm not the one up there singing my heart out. They are. Um, and I suppose it would be easy to sit in the cheap seats and be critical or be mean, but I, I try to be very constructive, um, in my thought process. When I first started, every review is positive, and I realized very quickly, well, you can't possibly like everything, and you don't like everything, and it's okay to say that you don't like it as long as you have some sort of clear argument as to why you don't like it. You can't just say it stinks and leave it at that. You've got to explain why and, and truly balance it out, what's good and what's not so positive. So after about 24 hours, I come up with some thoughts. I, I publish it on, used to be exclusively on Broadway World, and then I started freelancing for another website called Chicago On Stage. And then in January of this year, I started my own website, RDU On Stage, and that's where most of the reviews, that and Broadway World um, are where the reviews live for the most part. And, um, and then I go to the next show. It's funny because a, another critic here in town 
I, I said to him, you know, I agonize over these reviews. And even after they're published, I think of things that I could have said better or should have said better. Or I think of something a week later about the show and I think, oh, gosh, I, I should add that in. And he said, my dear, don't worry. Reviews are never finished. They're just abandoned. So <laughs> well, that's, that's a great quote. I, I have to uh, I, I do have to abandon them because typically, you know, in any given week, last week, for example, I saw four shows, so I, I need to move on. <laughs> but that that's the writing process. It, it's it takes a long time. Um, I think people would be surprised to know that you don't just sit down and crank out a review. It's not quite that simple and straightforward. There's a lot of thought and research that goes into it. Are you based from Raleigh, Chapel Hill, and Durham, or just Raleigh? Um, no, um, Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, this is the triangle. So I cover theater in all three cities. Um, I have gone for Broadway World as far as Southern Pines, Pinehurst, um, which is about an hour away. And there has been some discussion about RDU on stage going out even further um, to Fayetteville and Wilmington. But um, for right now, <laughs> uh, my hands are full just covering what's happening here in the Triangle. We have almost 60 theater companies in this Triangle area of Raleigh-Durham, Chapel Hill. I think that would surprise people. We have a lot of professional Broadway performers who have, who now live here and have started some really interesting companies and they're doing interesting work and I, the the theater community here the arts community here is really dynamic for the size area that we are in i i was surprised when i started covering the theater um scene here in raleigh durham chapel hill i got a list of theater companies and I was shocked that between our, we have several colleges here, most notably NC State, Duke, UNC Chapel Hill. They're all right. Here. They're all right here in this kind of triangle area, which doesn't even span 50 miles. I think it's just a, a little microcosm. So we have these three big universities plus a lot of smaller universities um, that all have college companies. Um, then you've got your community theaters, and we have some really fabulous community theaters with rich histories. And then you have your regional theaters, professional theaters. Um, and then we have the Durham Performing Arts Center, which opened, I don't know, now over 10 years ago, but they bring in all of the national tours. So we, we have a lot of theater going on, everything from experimental theater being done kind of uh, in black box theaters. We have site-specific productions going on um, in parks and bars and other interesting venues. They did the Miracle Worker in an old historic house uh, last summer, which was really interesting. And then we have your traditional staged productions so to speak so there's there's a lot going on it's it's a big big diverse community what are your favorite plays and musicals um if somebody if you're going to 
tell somebody, go see this. You have to see this if it comes to your town or if someone puts it on in your town. What would those plays and musicals be? Oh, gosh. I kind of, I figured you were going to ask me that and I should have prepared <laughs> an answer. Um, I really don't know. I, there's, I guess I should say there are very few musicals or plays that I don't like. I guess from a critic's perspective, you're looking at every aspect of the show from the creative elements to the production values, to the script, to the performances. So from a critic's standpoint, there are certainly things in, that I like and don't like about lots of productions, but I can't really think of too many shows that I haven't enjoyed. I think the shows that I enjoy the most are shows that surprise me in some way. Um, there is a production of a, a play, a Lauren Gunderson play called The Revolutionists last year that I really knew nothing about and I went into it really not knowing what to expect and... I love this show. I, I loved everything about it. It was um, a feminist play set against the backdrop of the French Revolution, talking about these historic characters, some of whom I had never heard of. And yet it had a really contemporary edge to it, which was really interesting. I love new plays. Um, we just had a rolling world premiere of a play called Jump Here um, by Charlie Simpson, which was really rich and interesting and in-depth. We have a local playwright here, an actor named Mike Wiley, uh, who is just such an interesting person um, to speak to. And he does a lot of work bringing theater into the schools, but a play he did last, again, last year, um, a, a play he had written called Blood Done Sign My Name, which was about this um, racial killing. It, it, was a, it, 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 was, it was about these race riots that had happened in Oxford, after a young black man had been killed. I didn't grow up in North Carolina, so I didn't know North Carolina history, but this historical play based on a novel of the same name was so interesting to me and thought provoking and sparked conversation. I love plays that make you think that you're thinking about a week after you leave them, and certainly plays that you can talk about. So those are just a few that come to mind um, that just surprised me over the last year or so. Last November, I went to New York um, as part of the American Theater Critics Association. I'm a, I'm a member of that organization and went to their um, convention in New York last November and had the opportunity to see many plays while I was there. It was kind of ridiculous how many plays I saw. Um, but I saw King Kong, The Prom, Head Over Heels, um, all of which 
well, two of which I really enjoyed. Um, and then uh, I, I had the opportunity to see the My Fair Lady revival at Lincoln Center, which is so gorgeous, so beautiful, so joyful. And um, the man's visit. So I, I got definitely got my Broadway fix in during that trip, for sure. Let's talk about your podcast. Okay. It's a lot of work. Don't you think it's a lot of work, Michael? <laughs> well, I, I enjoy it so much. It's not really work. Um, and plus... The way the way my my show is, it's a interview based, so I don't have to do a lot of uh, research or anything uh, to prepare for an, an interview. I just kind of let the my, my guest give their story, and then I go from there. But <laughs> what is your process? Um, you know, it's interesting. When it started, I was just so grateful to have people come on the show because I really did not have a clear vision of what it was going to be. So when it started, it it was it it almost felt like just um, a promotional vehicle for some of the theaters to come on and just promote their shows. And very quickly, I realized that I enjoy doing that. I enjoy speaking to the theater people in this community, but more than just talking about their shows, I love to talk about the creative process, and I love to have kind of more meaningful, rich conversations about the theater. So typically I will look at the shows that are coming up um, and see what kind of interesting themes I'm seeing or interesting questions I have about that show. So for example, um, one of our theaters here is doing a concert version. It's a small theater. They're doing a concert version of West Side Story next month. And that sparked in my own mind some questions about, huh, I wonder where Latino, Latina, Latinx theater, I wonder how that's evolved in this country since West Side Story, because there's a lot of conversations and dialogue about the whitewashing of West Side Story and how that's kind of a disservice to the Latin community. And so, you know, so I'm having a podcast episode where, yes, we do talk about West Side Story and we're going to talk about that concert production coming up. But in addition, we had this really interesting conversation about the history of Latinx theater in the United States and where it was before West Side Story, um, what West Side Story did for the community and how Latinx theater is evolving even as we speak. So those kinds of conversations I find really interesting. Um, and so that that's, you know, I just kind of try to think of what kind of conversations, what questions do I have about the theater? Is there anything about the theater that confuses me? Is there anything about the theater that I love that I really hope other people will love that I want to talk about? And, and I, I think one thing that's happened with the podcast is the content and the conversation is is pretty rich um, because people in this community have a lot to say about 
um, theater, about theater history. One of our, um, William I. Belong is from Raleigh. He, he grew up in this area and um, actually grew up and he spent the first three years of his life in one of the dressing room, growing up in a dressing room um, at one of our community theaters. And so I reached out to him to talk to him about history of theater in this area and how that informed who he is as a cost a Tony winning Tony award winning costume designer. So um, I try to speak to people who know much more than I do about the theater and then get my questions answered. <laughs> Hopefully have some good conversations. <laughs> What's the name of your podcast? Um, it's called RDU on stage, RDU being Raleigh Durham, um, if you fly into Raleigh-Durham, you're flying into the RDU airport um, or you're flying into RDU. So, um, yeah, RDU on stage. And right now we we cover, as you pointed out, Raleigh-Durham, Chapel Hill area. Uh, is that – can you find that on Apple Podcast and Stitcher? Oh, yes. All the all – the... um, all, across all podcast platforms. I'm not exactly sure how that happens, but once I click the button, somehow my podcast host gets it out onto Apple Podcasts so you can find it on iTunes. A lot of people don't know you can download your um, favorite podcasts on iTunes for free. You don't have to pay for that. I guess there are some podcasts you pay for, but mine you don't. I don't think yours you do. So um, people can listen on iTunes. Um, I do have a lot of people who've written to me who said, I just want to listen on your website. So people can certainly go to the RDU on stage website and listen there. Um, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, um, I, you know, their favorite podcast platform. I think even Alexa is now in it. I, I've signed up with TuneIn. So I guess people who want to ask Alexa to play the RDU on stage podcast can, I'm not sure how that works, but well, and, and, and one thing that has really blown me away, you know, when I started RDU on stage, so Last year, um, last February, I started working for Broadway World. Broadway World is a big um, online website that covers everything having to do with the th with theater in the world. I mean, it's a world worldwide um, online magazine, online entertainment source. They cover everything from London to um, small theaters all over the world, and then in 56 cities, they have reporters and contributing editors like me who cover that city's theater um, community. And so I started working for Broadway World, but really was limited to doing reviews and then doing kind of short written interviews. Occasionally, I put out a video here and there. Um, last summer, I did put out a lot of videos, but mostly they were short and sweet interviews. And around December, November, December last year, I was finding that I was having such interesting conversations with people in this theater community. And I wanted to have a platform where I could have a little bit more freedom to cover what I wanted to cover in the ways I wanted to cover the arts and the theater here. 
And so I started speaking to my friends in the theater community saying, if I, if I start something on my own, yes, I can do reviews. And there's lots of sites here in Raleigh that do really good reviews. We have a lot of critics and um, voices writing about the theater here. But when I started talking to people to say what would set my site maybe apart from other sites out there, um, overwhelmingly people were saying you should do a podcast. And that is really how the podcast was born because it seemed to be a need. We have radio shows that talk about the theater. Um, our local NPR station has um, a show around noon each day and he often covers the theater here um, and features guests to talk about the theater. But um, there wasn't any type of podcast specifically devoted to the theater here. And, and this has definitely filled a need. I just found out we're a finalist for this best of the triangle contest. Um, we're one of four <laughs> finalists for best local podcast. So for a podcast that just started, that's not too bad. <laughs> oh, oh, congratulations. That is good. That's... Yeah. We're up against really big podcasts. Um, that have really big audiences like criminal um the criminal podcast is one of our competitors but it's it's just really um exciting to even be grouped in the same category as an established podcast like that when we've just started let's go back just a little bit and talk about your visual art i made jewelry and one thing i love so i love ephemera i love <laughs> anything um, old, ephemera being um, postage stamps, postcards, photographs, things that are usually thrown away or discarded um, for not being seen as valuable. And I just love that. Anything handwritten, if it's an old handwritten postcard, I'm a sucker for that. And so when I started to, I started, um, using polymer clay as my medium. And I was using polymer clay because I was working out of my house and I had a small child and it was relatively non-toxic to work with. So if he, you know, got it in his mouth or ate it by chance, he would not um, expire or get too hurt. He'd probably get sick, but not, you know, expire from it. So it seemed like a safe thing to use. It's a product designed for children. And so I started working with polymer clay and image transfers. So I would take um, photocopies of pieces of ephemera that I would find in various places, whether it was flea markets or antique stores or online auctions, things that were in the public domain or really didn't matter to anybody. And I would make digital copies and I spent a long time playing with experimenting with and perfecting um, the photo transfer process onto polymer clay. And it's an art onto itself. There's a lot of people who do photo transfers onto polymer clay, but there's very few people who do a photo transfer onto polymer clay and then roll it into a dimensional object. And my idea was to take these pieces of ephemera, 
put them onto polymer clay and then make a polymer clay bead out of them to make these art to wear necklaces and bracelets. And so the pieces were all one of a kind. All of the beads were made by me um, in my house and then in my studio at Art Space. Um, I walked into an art gallery wearing one of my necklaces. I, I guess it was around 2004. And the gallery owner looked at the necklace I was wearing and said, I want to buy it. And that was kind of the first inkling I had that, wow, maybe somebody actually wants to wear this jewelry other than me. <laughs> and so um, I actually started a small business. I started selling my jewelry first at local craft shows, um, then at more professional craft fairs, and then at wholesale shows, big wholesale shows, um, where I had at one point several gal galleries carrying my my jewelry. Um, right around the time I got, there's a lot of jewelers in Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill. A lot of them make fine jewelry. So they're metalsmiths and they're doing work that I don't do. I really considered myself not metalsmith. I, I don't solder. I don't do metal work. Um, all of my work, I really considered mixed media, even though it was wearable art and and considered jewelry, I thought of it as mixed media. But because there are so many jewelers, jewelers here, the, the market got kind of saturated and I got tired of making jewelry. I felt like I was being asked to not make one of a kind jewelry anymore. I was being asked to really learn to mass produce the jewelry. Um, a few retailers were coming to me and, and wanting me to sell jewelry in their catalogs, which was wonderful and interesting. I'm glad people liked the jewelry and spoke to them in that way, but that I wasn't interested in mass producing my jewelry. I, I, I enjoyed being an artist and making it by hand and crafting it for an individual. And that would be their piece. That would be their necklace. And there wouldn't be 150 of them wandering around. That would just be theirs. And no one else's would look like their necklace or their um, bracelet. And so right around the time that I was kind of getting burnt out in jewelry and discovering fiber and doing a lot of the same kind of work, taking images that I just loved and ephemeral images and figuring out how to get these images onto fabric to make either wearable art or purses. I really enjoyed making purses because I love the idea of carrying art with you um, and not just putting it on the wall to look at. I love the idea of having something you can use. Um, right around that time, my daughter was diagnosed with autism and I just kind of had to stop. I really just needed to be a mom and be present with her. And so that, that kind of disrupted <laughs> the whole art process for me, but that's kind of where I was with it when I, when I stopped making jewelry and eventually some purses. 
Hi, I'm Chris. And I'm Christian. And this is an advert for Echo On, a, a true, true crime, crime podcast. podcast. We're a fortnightly podcast released every other Saturday where we talk about a variety of true crimes. Whether it's cults, con men, serial killers, and everything in between. So you can find us on all usual podcast platforms. Or you can go to our website on www.echoonpod.com. Also on all your social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Echo On Pod. So please subscribe, download, and give us a listen. Why don't we just go ahead and start? So go ahead and um, it's been since April 17th since we last spoke. So it's been over a month. Uh, and a little bit has changed since then. So I wanted to make sure that I uh, got back in touch with you so that you could add and let everybody know what has uh, transpired. So why don't you go ahead and let everybody know what, uh, what you're up to now. Well, um, this week I announced, I actually announced two weeks ago that I had resigned my position at Broadway World Raleigh as the contributing editor of Broadway World Raleigh. In fact, this week I covered my last show for them, which was the touring production of Cats. And honestly, I just kind of felt, um, I just kind of felt it was time because I, uh, I've been pursuing my freelance career kind of on the side, but that's kind of picked up and really has not left me a whole lot of time um, to cover shows for Broadway World. And I developed RDU on stage and RDU on stage consists of, you know, as we talked about the reviews, the interviews and this weekly podcast. And as you know, from putting together a weekly podcast, it is just a very time consuming venture. So um, it, it really wasn't fair to Broadway World because I didn't feel like I was uh, committing the the time that I needed to uh, to cover the theater for them as it really should be covered here. And I was, you know, also launching my own thing, which kind of started to not make sense anymore. So that's why I left. But I honestly, Broadway World opened so many doors for me and, and I'll always have a little soft spot, I think, in my heart for Broadway world. So, so your main focus now would be your podcast, the podcast and the website. Um, so RDU on stage kind of, you know, we have, I, I have the RDU on stage podcast, as you know, and we talked a lot about that, but in addition to the podcast, there's a website component of it. And the website component consists of more than just weekly episode notes. It consists of, um, theater reviews of theater here in this area, as well as video interviews, um, interviews that don't make it to the podcast, but um, kind of fill in in between the podcast, video interviews with actors and theater makers here, um, as well as as well as the podcast, which is weekly. So yes, <laughs> it's it's a lot to juggle. And we do have two other writers also doing the reviews at RDU on stage to bring some new voices to theater criticism. Oh, that's excellent. So you got a team now. A little bit of a team, yes, and and hopefully growing. So if there's any um, uh, listeners who want to try their hand at theater criticism or who are like me who may have left the writing field and want to kind of dabble back into writing, they should contact me because we're always looking to expand our team and 
and give voice to other writers. The best way to contact you would be through your website? Through the website, absolutely. Um, at at www.rduonstage.com. That's certainly the best way to um, reach me. And really, at, for anybody who's moving or coming to the Raleigh-Durham area or the Triangle, um, anybody who just wants to find out theatrically what's happening in this area, that's really a good resource, a good place to start. Michael, I did want to add kind of one other little tiny thing. Um, okay. and, and this doesn't necessarily have to go on the show, but could maybe go in some, you know, write up or whatever you, you post on social media. But this weekend, tomorrow night is the Tony Awards, which celebrates, um, you know, the theater, <laughs> the achievement on, on Broadway this season. And um, my guest is William Ivy Long. He's won six Tony Awards for his costume design. He's from North Carolina, and he's nominated for two awards tomorrow night for Beetlejuice and for Tootsie. So he's my guest on this week's podcast. So if you could uh, put a little plug, it's, it's always exciting to talk to William. He's such a character. <laughs> 